Hey, Survivor fans, let's talk about a snack that would take that island by storm. Wonderful pistachios. Wonderful pistachios are the undisputed champions of proteins. They pack a punch, boasting six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. That's over 10% of your daily value. Talk about a powerhouse snack. And let's not forget the lineup. We're talking flavors galore. Sweet chili, salt and pepper, honey roasted. Wonderful pistachios is like a flavor festival for your taste buds. Perfect for tribal gatherings or on-the-go adventures. The no-shells option is a game changer. Just grab and go. It's that easy. So Survivor Squad, if you want to outwit, outplay, outsnack the competition, make Wonderful Pistachios your go-to snack. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Survivor fans know there's nothing more important than a tribe you can trust, and the hunt for the perfect hire can be as tough as winning an immunity challenge. But what if you could just skip the search and just match? Enter Indeed, the ultimate hiring partner. With over 350 million monthly visitors worldwide, according to Indeed data, Indeed is more than a job site. It's your personalized hiring platform. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, connecting you with candidates at the speed you need. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches. Indeed is your compass in the hiring jungle. It's a matching engine, not just for hiring, but effortlessly assembling your dream team. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences, leveraging over 140 million qualifications daily. The more you use it, the sharper it gets. Join three and a half million businesses worldwide that trust Indeed for fast quality hires. Listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash Survivor. Go to Indeed.com slash Survivor now. Support our show by mentioning you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Survivor. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. I'm Jeff Probst, the host and showrunner of Survivor. Each week, I'm joined by Jay Wolf, Survivor fan and the producer of this podcast. Hello, Jay. What's going on? As well as former Survivor great, Rick Devins. Hello, Rick. Hey, Jeff. Each week, we dissect the big moments of the most recent episode of Survivor 45 and bring you the insight from the points of view of the fan, the player, and the producer, let's get into it. Episode 9, Survivor 45. Jay, which player do you want to highlight? For me this week, it feels a little bit like Austin is just operating on a different frequency than everybody else. And I don't know if it's because he's got this small arsenal of advantages and he's able to play a little bit less cautiously because mm. he feels safer. But the lie that he told when he came back from the journey... And just hoodwinked the entire tribe except for his allies. I thought that was spectacular. How about you, Rick? Alston, a ton of fun to watch this week. But even though it wasn't a huge episode for her, I have my eyes on Emily. This is a very uncertain mm. part of the game for her. And I feel like she's trying to find answers. And a couple different times tonight, we saw her kind of gauging what she believes her alliance members are telling her. How much are Drew and Austin really with her? And I think mm. Emily is trying to find her footing for the end game. Mm. All right, and from the producer's point of view, I wanted to highlight a couple of storytelling devices that we use on Survivor to examine the function they provide in each episode. This is kind of like a, a mini-featured topic, Jay, that we might have done in season one of On Fire. That's, is that cool with you? Yeah, that sounds great. Great. Okay, two storytelling devices that come at the top of the show and why they're important. Here we go. The first is 
previously on Survivor. <laughs> we haven't done these in a few years due to time constraints, but with 90 minutes, we wanted to bring them back. But they had to be great because when a Survivor fan commits to giving us the time to sit down and watch the show, we want them to engage immediately. Right. And tell me if you two agree with this. I'm not a fan of most previously ons on my favorite shows because I don't ever feel like I'm getting a story. I always feel like they're showing me scenes to jog my memory. And I, I know that that scene's somehow going to come into play. But if I can't connect those dots in that 90 seconds they give me, or maybe I can't remember, or maybe because I'm watching three other shows, I get the storylines confused, then I'm lost. Do you two feel that? <laughs> yeah, that's me. Totally. Okay, so we said to the team that produces these, Zach Sundalius, who is the producer, and Jacob Teixeira, who is the editor, let's just be really clear with our purpose. So let's break that old mold and turn these into short films that tell us exactly and only what we need mm -hmm. to know so that when we hit the episode, we're in full stride. I think they've been doing a tremendous job with them. Each one is different and speaks to the tone of the episode. And when it finishes, you have had this concise story. It's told in a really specific and artful way. And it puts the viewer right where they need to be in the story before the show has even started. Do you agree mm -hmm. that they've been working? Yeah, I think they're really fun. And I would recommend people go back on Paramount Plus and watch them again, because they really do feel like a short film in that way. Yeah. I think that they have a beginning, a middle, and an end as opposed to what you said earlier, Jeff, which is just random scenes right. that I remember that, oh yeah, that guy said that thing six weeks ago. Okay, good. Well, that's good feedback. Good to hear. All right, that's one storytelling device. You want another one? Yeah, I would love to know what I'm playing for, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The other one is the moment that comes in the show right after the previously on, and that's the return from Tribal. And this is the first chance that the players have to talk about what happened and who was voted out. And the storytelling purpose of this scene is to remind the audience of the complexity of the game, specifically that there are consequences for every decision that is made. This is the night vision part, right, Jeff? Yeah, exactly. It's late. You're emotionally worn out. You're physically tired. But you may have some damage control to do about a blindside you just engineered. Or you may need to be a detective and figure out why you were left out of the blindside. Either way, it's consequences. There was a great example tonight. Bruce comes back and says, basically, hey, no big deal. You know, it's not personal. But of mm. course, it's a big deal and it's definitely personal. <laughs> and then when you expand that lens even wider, you see a variety of reactions to the vote out of Kelly. You have Jake. He's surprised. He's celebrating. Whoa. I think it was, woo! <laughs> <laughs> so, so Jake, he's celebrating, but he's also realizing something. Mm, my read on people is worse than I thought. Then you have Bruce, also surprised, but not celebrating. He's confused and he's realizing, okay, my personality is rubbing people the wrong way. I might not be as in control as I thought. Mm -hmm. And then you have Kendra, also surprised, but devastated. And she's realizing, well, at least that's one big threat out, even if she was my friend. And it's a possible vote for me if I can get to the final three. So with those two simple devices, we're now 
fully into the episode. We're already contemplating the central dramatic question, who will be voted out tonight? And I just want to dig a little deeper into that moment with Bruce while we're on the topic, because I thought it was really impactful and also kind of unexpected from him. It doesn't make sense. Kelly was my closest ally, saying that I was overbearing for them. Like, that's, that, that doesn't feel good. Like, that sucks. Oh, yeah. And it's weird because I have my daughter back home, and I don't treat them any different than I treat her. When I go back home, I'm going to ask my wife and my daughter, am I overbearing? Yeah, do you feel as if I don't allow you to grow, especially to my daughter? And if she sees me as that way, then I will make the changes that are necessary to make sure that she can live a different life than what, I'm, than what I've gone through. Devins, do you believe that moment with Bruce? Absolutely. I did. I think that it was totally genuine and that he he was thinking about his daughter and I'm sure he was thinking about a lot of times where he's wondering if he did the right thing. Did you have any similar moments like that about yourself that might have come from something unexpected that caused you to learn something new? You know, I learned all types of things about myself on Survivor, but specifically to mirror this situation, something I learned about myself because the people I was playing with blatantly told me to my face, stop <laughs> this. It's annoying. It's too much. Uh, I, I went to a tribal council and made a big splash, a live tribal, and things went my way. And I kind of got big head-itis out of that. And the next tribal, I'm trying to save mm. my buddy David Wright. And I was just got smartest guy in the room syndrome. And I was explaining mm. so blatantly why what they were doing was dumb and why they needed to do it my way. And it just lines up, do it. And what I ended up being told when we got back to camp in this night vision moment that Jeff just explained to us was that I was so annoying that I actually alienated people that might have wanted to work with me and that wow. I was so obnoxious about it that I turned them and pushed them in the other direction. And that's absolutely something I took into account the rest of the game and hope that I've brought back with me that as much as you might think your idea is the best idea, you got to take other people's input and you just can't push too hard. All right, let's get into the next moment. And I want to talk about tree mail. The tree mail comes in and the news is the tribe needs to divide themselves into groups of three. And I believe the note tells them that they should be anxious about this decision that they're making. And so the tribe starts to divide themselves into a group of three, not knowing exactly what the challenge is going to entail. We've seen versions of this before, but can you tell us about the choice to do this via tree mail as a game designer? Yeah, well, you have really two big choices. You can do random draws, which we do a lot, and those are fun because they're completely unpredictable. But in this case, we thought, given where we were in the game, that letting them choose would be more interesting because everybody wants it to be fair, but everybody wants to win. <laughs> everybody has alliances, but your alliance doesn't necessarily mean that you'll win. So what takes priority? And so once we have the creative design, then John Kerhoffer has written every single tree mail. I don't know how he does it. We're in our 45th season. He's written a thousand tree mails at least, and he still comes up with these clever little phrases. But everything that he writes is a clue. And that's what you're getting at, Jay, is even the mm. tree mail is telling you something. And it leads to the speculation, which we see play out later when they think maybe there's going to be a tribal council with three people. Rick, I'm curious, the decorum here, it's this moment where they still kind of feel like one tribe, even though 
there are so many divisions within the tribe that it feels like they couldn't possibly make a group decision. And yet here, it's seemingly friendly, even though this choice will decide who wins a million dollars. Yeah, and like everything, a very social game. You don't want to push too hard. But the truth is, in this situation, Drew strikes first. And because he does, Mm. he kind of sets the rules. He says, let's split it like this, and even says, here are the fair tribes. So now, what would have been an open discussion where you kind of make your case, now you have to explain why you want to not do it the most fair way. And you have to alienate the people that Drew just put you with. Like, wait, why don't you want to be with me? So Drew kind of took control of this and made rules that weren't there, and now the other players are playing by Drew's rules. And I think that was really clever of Drew. And I think if you're the other players... You don't want to push too hard because you don't know what this even means. You don't know if you're going to vote these people out or if you're playing with them or against them. So why would you spend too much social capital trying to make something happen? I Just a quick follow-up on that, Rick. Do you think, and this is just an opinion call, if the player weren't someone popular like Drew, who went in there mm. and said, this is how we're going to do it, it would work as easily? Like if it was Bruce? Yeah, that's For a instance. great observation. And Bruce, that's a perfect example because I can absolutely see Katora right away going, no, why don't we talk about this as a group? Why don't we open this up to a group? But mm-hmm. like you said, because you have Drew and because he has his minions around him kind of whispering, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> you know, It automatically <laughs> uh, takes a different vibe. But that's a really great point, Jay, that the message... Mm oftentimes depends on the messenger and it's not going to be delivered or received in the same way. And the uncertainty that we talked about through that tree mail is ultimately what drives a big decision by Austin. Yeah, the choice to give Julie the idol before they go off to what they don't know is coming, yet I thought was a really strong move. And again, I said at the top, I think Austin is operating on another frequency. I don't know that Austin's giving his only idol to Julie if he's only got one, but the fact that he has two means that now he can diversify his options just in case they run into that scenario. And just to throw back, adding on to that, Jay, I remember when they were finding that first idol together and Drew and Austin went off and Julie and Dee had a chance to get it. And I said, they should have just gotten it. Drew and Austin have been sketchy. They should take it for themselves. But instead... They played the long game. They stuck with that alliance. And here it is paying off. As Austin says, here, take it, Julie. Keep yourself safe. If you can give yourself permission to lose, then it allows you to play to win. Mm. It's a subtle mental shift. But you have to make it in order to win. So in Austin's case, as you said, Jay... You like that move. There are other great players who would never make that move. Boston Rob would probably never give one of his two idols to somebody. Both are great players. It's just what works for you, but you have to be able to commit to that in order to get a shot to get to the end. All right, when we come back, one of my favorite things of the new era, the three-stage, one-day Survivor event episode. And it even got bigger this season. Be right back. Listen, wearing the same clothes for 26 days straight on Survivor really made me realize the importance of buying high-quality, long-lasting clothes. That's why I love Quince. They have timeless, well-made pieces that last for years and don't go out of style. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. Buying pieces from Quince means that I don't have to keep buying new clothes every year, which is better for my wallet and the environment. 
I recently got a super chic Italian leather tote from Quince and I'm loving how it looks. The best part about Quince is that by partnering directly with top factories, they're able to keep prices super affordable. I'm talking 50 to 80% cheaper than similar brands. And the other best part is that Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I love that. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com survivor for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash survivor to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com survivor. Survivor fans know there's nothing more important than a tribe you can trust, and the hunt for the perfect hire can be as tough as winning an immunity challenge. But what if you could just skip the search and just match? Enter Indeed, the ultimate hiring partner. With over 350 million monthly visitors worldwide, according to Indeed data, Indeed is more than a job site. It's your personalized hiring platform. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, connecting you with candidates at the speed you need. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches. Indeed is your compass in the hiring jungle. It's a matching engine, not just for hiring, but effortlessly assembling your dream team. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences, leveraging over 140 million qualifications daily. The more you use it, the sharper it gets. Join three and a half million businesses worldwide that trust Indeed for fast quality hires. Listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash Survivor. Go to Indeed.com slash Survivor now. Support our show by mentioning you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Survivor. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. All right, Jay, what's our next moment? Next moment, multi-tiered challenges and the twists that come along with them in this three-stage one-day challenge. There was a ton going on here. So before we get into specifically what there was, I'm just curious, are you approaching this three-tiered challenge differently because of the 90 minutes? Yes, a little bit. And as we've talked about, the 90 minutes is a two-sided coin because it does mm-hmm. allow you to do more, but it also requires you to do more because you want your 90 minutes to be killer. So you have to have enough turning points. So in this case, we'd done three-stage challenges in the new era, but we added some twists. The first group out will lose their vote. That is a massive impact. Three people that are going to lose their vote and have to earn it back. The last group left, otherwise known as the winners, <laughs> they get reward and they get a shot at immunity in that final endurance challenge. Well, that's a massive impact for different reasons. And then the group in the middle remains neutral. They don't lose anything, but they also don't gain anything. And then you take each group and you send them to different places. Right. That's where the 90 minutes comes in because in a typical episode... We couldn't do that. We couldn't have three people at one place, three at another, and three at another. We just wouldn't have time to go visit all of them. But since Mm. we did have time, we said, let's design it so that those are three different stations and three different stories are happening. And then they'll all come back together. And the question is, who will share what with who? And what will people believe? And then you go to tribal council and you have another great episode. And Jeff, immediately on that mat, when you find out that this is the twist, I'm thinking to myself, does Julie throw this challenge? Is, you know, there are mm. strategies that you can take right there to make sure that your alliance has the most votes. The other thing I think that's really cool about this challenge is just the stakes that it gives each one of the stages. You know, the first stage, the fact that those three are losing their vote is really impactful. And later we see 
how much it impacts Emily and Katori and Austin. And then the final stage, the endurance stage, we have Julie versus Bruce, the two oldest players who are on the beach facing off against each other. And as an elder millennial, that's how I identify myself. I love <laughs> to see the older folks thriving. Yeah, Survivor is such a great place to realize what you're capable of. It's crazy. You go out there and we heard a lot of players talk about self-doubt over the years. And I had a whole ton of self-doubt out there. And I found myself doing things that I didn't think I was capable of. And it's kind of, it's kind of corny. And it's what I tell young people who want to be on Survivor. I say, once you start believing you can do something, it makes it a whole lot easier to do it. Then you just have mm. to kind of grind and decide what you want to do. And I think that goes double for people who are maybe considering themselves too old to play Survivor. I think that if you put your mind to it and decide that that's what you want to do, you'd really surprise yourself once you got out there on the island. Yeah, and I get the question a lot, how come there aren't more older people on Survivor? Well, it's reflected in the smaller percentage of older people who apply. We get a lot of younger people applying, which is great because they're discovering the show and they're coming of age to apply. And they've got that energy of, I could do this. I could win that game. We also have a lot of diverse types of stories who are applying, which has been incredibly inspiring. So the good news is, if you're over 40, which is old on Survivor, and you want to apply, we are looking for you. But here's the caveat. We don't fill holes, as we've talked about. So we're not going to put you on just because you're older. That would be a wasted spot. And in the same way that sometimes an 18-year-old is lacking a little life experience to make them ready for the show, I meet a lot of people in their 50s who are so locked into who they are that it's also equally not interesting on the other side of the spectrum. Mm. There's no layers to them. That's clearly not the case with Julie and Bruce. Both are very interesting, very compelling. We would put both of them back on the show today. Yeah, and it was really cool to see him face off. And once again, Crushing our it. guy pulled it out. Yeah. All right. The next moment I want to talk about is the journey itself. So as I said before, the first group who lost ended up going on this journey. It wasn't the fun kind, as Emily later said. It was one where they had to do a math problem. And the math problem looked simple. It had the... 10 most basic numbers, 1 through 10. <laughs> but you had to put in four different signs and figure out where they go to make it equal to a different number. My question for you, Jeff, is how do you find the sweet spot on a right. math challenge like that? Well, that is the question we are always trying to answer, not just with math, with any of our sweat versus savvy or any of our riddles or any of those things. So we're always trying to find the spot where... If you're really good at this stuff, then you are going to get it quickly. And if you're just not really very good at this stuff, you may never get it. But everybody else that's in the middle, eh, maybe I could get it. That's the sweet spot. So really, you just have to get a large enough test group to be convinced that you have a not easily solvable, but solvable puzzle. Mm. And I always try them. Because I am absolutely average when it comes to things like this. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Don't put me on a puzzle. I suck. But weirdly, this is one of the few types of puzzles I can do very fast. This was really easy for me. In fact, it was so easy that I kept calling Quigley and Millhouse and Kerhoff. And I'm like, dude, I think this is going to be a slam dunk. Everybody's going to get it. And they said, no, you're crazy. Just because you got one, bro, you finally <laughs> figured one out. You know, It doesn't mean it's easy. And they did a lot of testing. And they kept coming back saying, we're telling you, this is going to be difficult. And then you handicap 
these mathematical things or these uh, slide puzzles or whatever they are by giving them this time constraint. The minute you put up that sand timer, the pressure gets in your mind mm, yeah. and it starts to impact your ability to think clearly. Yeah, it's kind of like, Jeff, when you are yelling at us during challenges and we're trying to focus <laughs> and I hear, you know, Underwood is almost there. Julie, just a few pieces <laughs> away. And you're going, why aren't my pieces going in fast enough? And it just kind of <laughs> melts down. And all of a sudden, my message from before that, you know, if you believe it, it's easier to do it. You stop believing it. And it just, that added pressure is, is crazy because if things don't go well right away, it's very easy for them to melt down. You know, the last part of doing something like this, we did it with this mathematical where we kind of highlighted what the correct answer was. That is also something that you have to think about is visually, how are you going to lay out the board? And how are you right. going to show the audience the answer? I keep talking to our post team about this idea that maybe we should just put up some QR codes on the screen so that you can, on your own time, go and see if you could solve these puzzles. Because I think it would be fun for the audience to do. So maybe that's something we'll do in a coming year. All right, quick break, then the final moment. Tribal Council, where all of this pays off, the uncertainty of the votes puts trust to a massive test. Be right back. Welcome back to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. All right, the final moment of the episode. Set it up, Jay. Yeah, I mean, I think Drew sets it up pretty perfectly for me, so here it is. <laughs> Typically, when you go into a tribal council, you know how many votes they're gonna be. This twist adds a complication where suddenly, it's not clear if you're voting with six people, seven people, eight people, nine people. And that's really scary because it throws off any possible voting calculation from a strategic standpoint. And you have to default instead to your relationships with these people in hopes that they're being honest. I mean, this is a crazy situation where you literally have no idea on how many votes there are even going to be at Tribal. And it really took me aback as a viewer because I've seen this in small iterations in the Tribal stage of the game, you know, when they're in their small groups. Yeah. Somebody might have lost a vote because they found an advantage. I haven't really seen this in a large Tribal Council when we're in the individual stage of the game. So how do you game plan out the impact there? Well, one of the things that I'm really proud of how we handle our creative is that if we have an idea, in this case, let's say the new era is the idea, then we imagine it that it's like an alphabet. And we try to go from A to B to C to D to E to F to G. When you could cherry pick and let's say, why don't we just go right to W, like the biggest mm. moment. And that would work, but you would give up all of this creative real estate. So we started with just one lose vote. And then maybe there's another lose vote. And now you work your way to, maybe there's three lost votes. Maybe there's no lost votes because they did have a chance to earn them back. But that's really what you're doing. Hmm. Okay, same question, Rick. But from the player's perspective, how do you engineer a blindside when you have literally no idea how many votes there are? Oh my gosh, that is difficult. <laughs> and it's scary. Fewer votes means easier for you to get blindsided. It doesn't take much to turn mm. the tables. Um, and you have to kind of assume everyone does have votes. You can't take anything for granted when it comes to that. So you want to play it safe, but somebody's got to take the wheel. And in this case, D takes the wheel. D pushes. I want Kendra out. 
and it comes with risk. She alienates Julie a little bit. She makes herself a bigger target. But you have to do something in the game to take control to, quote unquote, build your resume. I know people hate hearing that. So this is a scary mm. situation. Who, who hates the phrase building your resume? Fans and former players. But usually, I, I don't get that. players that don't have resumes, I would say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's people who think you need to go out there and everything you do is a big move. But a lot of players like to look back on their own experience and rewrite their own story and say, I was such a social threat, no one ever voted for me. That's my resume. When I think the other people on their season would say, no one ever considered you a threat because you don't have a resume. So I think th that's where the discussion of resumes comes from. Well, I have another question speaking of resumes, which is we didn't even see an idol come out in this tribal, which is, you know, logistically the most risky tribal that we've right. seen so far. Is that surprising to you, Rick? <laughs> Not really. Bruce, I've been there, man. He ain't playing it for nobody but Bruce. <laughs> uh, he right. knows he's going to need it. He's saving it. And in terms of that Reba idol that Julie has and the Reba idol that Austin has, I think that group just feels so comfortable right now. They can trust each other, so they didn't need to play it. But it's getting down to lower and lower numbers. And right now, Austin mm. has possession of one. Julie has possession of the other. Who ends up with those idols? And when does this alliance start looking at each other? Because you can't have four people in a final tribal. Or maybe you can, Jeff. Yeah, you, 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 you tell me. <laughs> no, we're, we're going to stick with the final three for now, Devins. <laughs> Well, I agree, Rick, and I'm looking forward to seeing how these extremely tight alliances, specifically this three before, end up breaking up somehow because they're going to have to, and I think it's going to be spectacular. Before we finish with this moment, Jeff, I wanted to ask, did Kendra, who we did lose tonight, play the way that you thought she would when you first met her? Loved Kendra. She's another in a line of very unique people who are applying to come take on Survivor. She never once backed off of her spiritual approach to life or the impact that astrology has had on how she views people and who she gets along <laughs> with. You know, she was really fun, very memorable. And as we always say to the players, of course you want to win. But just know that for us, it's not how long you last in the game, but how you play the game when you're in it. Mm. That's what we're looking for. That's that's the big determining factor in who we invite back to play again. Yeah, and she was really fun to watch, and we will miss her. All right, let's get into some fan questions. As a reminder, if you have a question for Jeff, you can email us at survivorshadowed at cbs.com, and I will read those questions, maybe even read them here. Question number one comes from Rachel. She says, hi, on fire. My question is about the producers that conduct interviews with the players. How do they form individual relationships without giving anything away? Do they always remain a blank slate or can they get excited or disappointed with the player? And how would that impact gameplay? For example, if a player found a fake idol but thought it was real, how would the producer act? Would they feign excitement? So Rachel has the kind of emotional intelligence you need to play Survivor. You can tell by what she's envisioning, even though she's never been out there, she's envisioning what this must look like. And the short answer, Rachel, is they're very experienced and they're very good because you're right. You cannot give anything away. It cannot happen. So basically, this is simplifying it, but you react the same to everything. And that doesn't mean that they are emotionless. They're not, but it does mean you would ask the same questions with the same tone when someone has found what you know to be a real idol as, as you would if you knew it to be a fake idol. And, you know, the training team and the training environment are young segment producers who support the co-EP producers. That's how they learn. 
So as they Mm -hmm. rise up through the ranks and they start doing more interviews, they too are very consistent with this. Because the bread and butter of the show is ultimately the trust between the producers and the players. The players have to believe that when they tell the producer a secret, it is a secret. And the other players have to believe that producers don't give away anything to any player ever for any reason. Devins, did you ever feel that something was given away to you? No, I really didn't. And it's funny because it's a very deep relationship. And I mean, we would talk about this stuff very openly. I would say, Ryan, is this a real idol? Like, is this, is this legit? And he <laughs>, laughs and says, I can't tell you, you know, let's talk, you know, ask the questions. It's just a very open and honest relationship. Yeah. And it's kind of like everyone else you're out there with. It's, you can't read the producers just like you can't read the other castaways. Good <laughs> I luck. love hearing that. And the castaways have only been doing it for one season. These producers, some of them have been doing it for all 45. Right. All right. Question two comes from Corey. Jeff. A few weeks ago, you mentioned that you used to run the challenges yourself, but you don't anymore due to the liabilities. As much as we would all like to think you're invincible, what would happen if you did suddenly get sick or injured on the show? Is there a backup host that could run a challenge or even tribal council? Corey, I love this question, and I'm not going to go into the details, but we do have a plan. We have a document that I wrote up. Everybody has it in their (laughs) files in case this happens. In fact, I just looked at it again last year to see if it needed to be updated, and I hope it never happens too because I don't want to be sick, and I don't want to be injured, and I don't want to miss anything from Survivor. But if it does happen, everybody knows what to do. Go to the document and then adjust accordingly. (laughs) (laughs) And and what do we do? We don't have a document for this podcast, Jeff. What are Jay and I supposed to do? Oh, well, you'll be just fine without me. And then all the this is why you sucks will come to you, Devins. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Question number three comes from Kimmy. She writes, Hey, guys, love the podcast. It's been so fun to get a peek behind the scenes. My question In 45 seasons, has a challenge ever had to be restarted or redone because something went wrong with an element of the actual challenge? Like a toehold snapping off or a chain snapping. I know the props team is awesome, but 45 seasons is a long time to go with no mistakes. No, Kimmy's right. I mean, in fact, Devin's, you had one. We had one in your season, but and you can talk about it. But just generally speaking, Kimmy, we've never had to completely rerun a challenge, like start over and do it again. But over the years, yeah, there have been a few times when something does snap or for some reason, something doesn't work. And in that situation, I just yell, stop. Everybody freezes where they are in the challenge. And then our art department would run in and immediately fix a problem. It's kind of like a pit stop in an IndyCar race. They can literally fix anything in a matter of minutes. But Devins, why don't you tell what happened on your season? Yeah, we had a challenge where we were throwing coconuts in a net. And when the net got weighed down enough, it pushed over this huge stack of blocks that we had to arrange in a puzzle. And the blocks were really heavy. Well, one of the nets kind of malfunctioned and the blocks only partially went over and this whole tribe is running under these blocks. So Jeff yells, stop, get away from the blocks because they were going to crush the tribe. Uh, And they came out and they just pushed the blocks over so they felt like they were supposed to. And then they said, go. And I'm hauling these heavy blocks again. Yeah, and I, I like hearing it and hearing your perspective on it, because I'm, I'm happy to say that we probably had, I don't know, 700 challenges. It's happened less than 1%, but it does happen because these are handmade challenges. And I'm always impressed when our art department can fix something. And, and it's interesting, Jay, because typically 
the times it happens, someone from the art department who's in charge of that challenge will say, hey, probes, really sorry about that. And I go, sorry. Dude, it was the way you handled it so quickly and got it back. Right. That's impressive. That's what you have to do. You don't worry about making a mistake. Mistakes happen all the time. I make 10 or 12 every episode. But it's <laughs> how you handle them that matters. All right, that's it. Episode 9 is in the books. What do you think is coming next week? Where are we? Because now we're in the nitty-gritty of the show. What are you feeling, Jay? Man, first of all, I'm feeling sad that it's ending so soon. I just wanted this season to keep going. But... The other thing is I'm going to start and end with Austin and I'm going to rope Drew into it. I mean, these guys seem to be kind of running the table. They've got Jesse Cody vibes a little bit for me. Mm. Somebody's going to realize that soon. And I think that person is going to be D because not a lot's getting by her. I'm looking for a schism in the near future. Interesting. I'll end where I started with Emily. We saw this episode really trying to use that stock analyst background and kind of gather the data right now. She even went up to Drew at one point and said, talk to me about where you came up with Kendra option and with whom. She's feeling it out. <laughs> I think she's got her data now. So now which stock is she going to buy? Where is she going? I think mm -hmm. Emily might be the one who ends up infiltrating Reba. All right, that's it for this week's episode of On Fire. Please make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a brand new episode of Survivor every Wednesday at 8, 7 Central on CBS and Paramount Plus. And immediately following the episode, you know how this works. There's a new episode of this podcast, On Fire. We'll see you then. Hey, you can watch Survivor and more on Paramount Plus. You can subscribe at ParamountPlus.com and use the code SURVIVOR45 by December 20th, 2023 and get your first month of Paramount Plus on us. Must be age of majority to subscribe. U.S. only. Payment method required. Terms and conditions apply.